we're an, you know, an important, in fact, critical part of every organization. The question is, do other people believe that? And so one of the first observations is, as a profession, we've got to be seen as the place where smart people want to go. Hey guys, it's your girl, Ashley Graham, and you are listening to Business Life and Coffee Podcast with your boy, Joey Price. We are here at Sherm headquarters here in Alexandria, Virginia. I am talking with the one, the only, sharp-dressed man, Johnny Taylor. He is the CEO of, of Sherm, and we're just here to have a conversation. He's new to the job, but he's not new to the field. Uh, and we just want to have a conversation about your thoughts on the industry, your thoughts on Together Forward, which is yes. an initiative that is near and dear to your heart, and just how your history has led you up to this moment. Uh, before we get started, though, I want to kick off with a game of Two Truths and a Lie, just so that the audience can get to know you a little bit, and then I'll, I'll do some guessing on the which one's a lie. Wow, and I've never played this game, so thank you, <laughs> but let's go. So what is it? All right. So the, the purpose of Two Truths is Lies, you're going to say three things about yourself. Okay. Two of them being true, one of them being false. And my goal is to guess which one is false. And you can tell us which one, which one is a false one. Wow. Okay. So two truths and two lies. So, you know, part of this is a little unfair because I did the HR Magazine story. And one of the things that I was going to use that most people would miss is already out in the public domain. So I got to find something more interesting. So, uh, and I'm not supposed to, I'm telling you three points and then you're going to decide which one is, which ones are true and which one is false. Okay. Okay. Number one, I was chosen to be on the television show 227 as an actor, a sitcom back in the day, and decided to forego that opportunity to go to college. One. Okay. Number two, I was married to Lisa Leslie in the WNBA. That's two. Number three, I have four children. Only one at home with me, but I have four children. Hmm. That's tough because I could see all of them potentially. I mean, you've got a great, I could see you on the big screen. Um, I know you spent some time out in LA and, uh, I'm going to go with number number two as, as the lie. As the lie. Yeah. So, actually, I tricked you because I gave you two lies. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it. I wasn't going to let you win this one. Uh, but you're right. Number two is untrue, but okay. I was actually married to a WNBA player, and her name was Charlotte Smith Taylor, Okay, All right. who people say looks a lot like Lisa Leslie, and they played at the same time. Uh, she spent uh, seven years in the league, six of them at Charlotte, and then her last year she actually did play in L.A. So that that's kind of true. So uh-huh. that's that's in between true and then a lie. And then a lie is I have four children. Okay. God knows I can't afford the one I have. So I have one daughter, and she's seven years old. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Well, you're listening to Johnny Taylor, president and CEO of SHRM, Society for Human Resource Management. Now, let's talk about uh, – a little bit about your background and I know that your huge focus is higher education 
Yes. Uh, HR experiences uh, a huge challenge where um, people will go through the HR education process, and it's hard to get that first HR job. Gotcha. You know, there's the thing that where people say, you know, well, it's hard to get that first job because all of them ask for two to three years of experience. How do you get the two to three years of experience? Tell me a little bit about um, your role as a um, advocate champion for higher education and how you see that playing out in your vision for sure. So it's really interesting. The words themselves, the two words, higher education, uh, kind of it's it's we use it a lot. But I'm not real sure that it means what people think it's supposed to mean. First of all, I struggle with the term higher education because we typically associate that with four-year colleges. Um, and the fact of the matter is, the, at least the implication is that anything less than that, i.e. two-year colleges or vocational schools or other uh, educational opportunities are lower education. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean that's, it, that's the struggle. Yeah. And in fact, uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about more and more uh, in HR is uh, the importance of apprenticeships, the importance of credentialing, which may not manifest itself in the form of the traditional bachelor's degree. And so we're going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about that as we, as the workplace has evolved and as employers' needs have evolved. We saw just a couple of days ago, IBM announced that, you know, it essentially was no longer going to require the bachelor's degree for many of its jobs. Not all, That's but huge. many of them. That's huge. And so we're, we're removing that barrier and HR is going to have to get a little bit more creative than saying you are only educated if you have a higher education degree, i.e. a bachelor's degree. And frankly, we saw increasingly that was just table stakes. Now people want you to have an MBA and a JD and everything else to get an entry-level job. To answer your question, though, how that impacts the the person out there in the in your audience, our audience today, who's trying to figure out how you break into HR. So there are the, the traditional route is going in this higher education route. You attend a school that has a strong HR program. And I want to differentiate. There are schools that have sort of HR programs that will teach you to do research. And then there are schools that have HR programs that will teach you to practice. And there is a real difference. Um, the struggle for most students is they come out wanting to practice HR. And the reality is because this HR, this profession is so important, companies aren't really willing to have you, employers broadly. So I use the term companies, but that's, you know, for-profit organizations, government, et cetera. Employers don't want to take that risk because if you're wrong in your practice, you can cause a lot of you know, litigation and risk exposure for the, for the organization, and you can also damage the culture. So in some ways, it's a compliment that organizations say, we're not going to let you practice in our workplace until you have some experience. So my, uh, frankly, my, my uh, recommendation to young folks is go out and get a job doing what you essentially went to school to do. So if you went to school to be an accountant, go be an accountant for a couple of years. And you'll learn in the workplace people management skills. You'll learn how people act, how they think, how they interact. Because you know there's a theoretical learning that you get in your classroom, and then there's the real workplace learning. The best HR people to me don't come right out of school and go into HR because I think they need to be in the workplace 
learning all of those things and making all of those observations. And then I believe very firmly in certification. Um, in fact, I just did an interview with Fortune and I mentioned the importance of certification, credentialing, and the interviewer said, now, is that a real thing? She said, because I kept talking about certified HR professionals. Uh, everyone thinks they can do HR. You know, you hear that, that all the time. Uh, oh, I've hired people before. I've fired people before. I've managed people before. So I'm an HR expert. And the fact of the matter is there are competencies. There's a body of knowledge. And that should be the entry for all HR people. I think you've got to master that before you're allowed to go practice in the traditional sense. So long answer, yes, there will be some people who are fortunate enough. Typically, um, by the way, those people will have interned somewhere else or have had a life before they went to college, which gives them those practical skills. But, but the vast majority of HR people will have gone to work doing something else and will develop and hone their skills, their uh, instinct, that sixth sense, that will then prepare them to go into the HR function. And then I would only encourage them to certify, to train and become certified before they officially take on the role. Well, Johnny, you bring up a great point about uh, having spent some time in, I'll just say corporate America first or in institutions first, because as a person fresh out of your education, you can assume that you're jumping into a role under ideal circumstances. Right. But as you know, as HR practitioners know, first of all, I, I think that organizations are like snowflakes. You know, no HR is alike. The That's way right. The way they do it is, is alike, right? Um so you, you almost need to have that that understanding or that perspective before uh, being given that responsibility of practicing HR in an organization. Well, and one of the things that I learned very early on in my practice was uh, people don't always say what they mean. And oftentimes, yes means no. Oftentimes, I mean, it's really human beings are fascinating, yeah. particularly in the workplace, because the power dynamic is at play. The need for money is at play. The desire to be promoted is at play. There are so many things going on in that interaction that you've got to really experience it for a while because you go in taking people at their word or, you know, for example, sexual harassment. Everyone's talking about that today. Sexual harassment training theoretically is good. But we know that no matter how much sexual harassment training an organization has, if they haven't developed the right culture, um, it's it's all for naught. First of all, people will know what it is, even if it's done well, but they the culture is one where you're retaliated against or thought less of, even if not formally retaliated against, for bringing uh, allegations forth, and you're not going to do it. And it really takes some seasoning uh, to get comfortable in your own skin and then to be able to help influence the culture in an organization. And I just, you know, I don't, I hope no one listening in, in a podcast world thinks, oh my gosh, she's telling me I can't come right out of school. There are exceptions. There are people, I liken it a lot to the typical NBA player comes out of a college program where they played three or four years post high school. There are a few LeBron James. There are people who come right out of high school, but the vast majority of them need some practice. And that's where you, in the sports world, you get it in college. Mm -hmm. And I think in the workplace, a couple of years of working would do us well. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that ties into definitely the idea of apprenticeships. And that's right. Being able to walk hand in hand with uh, HR Pro. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, again, you're tuning in to the Business Life and Coffee podcast with CEO of Sherm, Johnny Taylor. 
Uh, the big elephant in the room, the M-word, millennials. We are changing the way that we, uh, not only the way that we work, but the way that we approach work, uh, the way that we solve problems, uh, and the way that we invite or uh, desire feedback in the office. Um, your your history has been with working with young professionals and grooming young young people. Uh, what message would you have as the Sherm president to uh, millennials within the HR field? First of all, let, let me, it's a little provocative and out the box, but I, I have long since challenged this notion of millennials in the sense that you were born in a certain year after a certain year and before another one. This is, this is something that I think if you really stop and reflect on it, we've always had millennials. We've always had them. I went to school with some millennials. Um, they were called something different, but there is a percentage of every population, no matter what generation you're in, you, you are in, who have a certain mindset, um, who, who think certain ways about how the world should operate. I think what we're seeing is this, in this particular generation, they just represent a larger portion. So in the past, if 10% of the people born in the 60s were millennial-like in thinking, that number might be 30% now. That percentage might be 30%. It's a mindset. And because it now represents such a large portion of the overall workforce and growing, um, I think the the workforce has to feel has to begin to understand how to manage through that. But I don't I I hesitate to overthink it because listen, yeah, it's some thirty or forty percent. Let's give it that number. But that means there's sixty percent intergenerational, multi-generational, other groups that are also in that workplace. And so the risk is that we put all of our focus on one subset of the population that, while significant, isn't the majority. That's number one. Okay. Related to that, though, is recognizing that this is an influential and growing population or grown population. Then how do you manage through it? And that's the, that's the HR challenge. So I'll give you just an example. I got a question the other day from an older worker um, who was querying what he needs to do to uh, help with some of the old jokes in the workplace. You know, people are constantly, you know, old man this, old man that. And he said, yeah. at first it was cute, but then it got old. Pardon the pun. pun. <laughs> <laughs> I caught it. You I caught, caught it. it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and the reality is these, uh, the millennial response would be, yeah, and you all sit around and talk about millennials all the time. And you make disparaging comments about millennials all the time and stereotypes, et cetera. So the, the message is, when we really take our workforce and divide it up, they're different personas. And, and I think that's the key. Each one of these sort of generations have dominant personas. And figuring out what matters to each of those groups of people is what matters, is, is how you manage them. And for HR, the opportunity is you, you can't just group the workplace into one particular type of persona, right? So there are things that what I will call the millennial persona want and value, purpose. Um, as much as they say 
uh, it's not money. It's always money because I've never been negotiated harder than with a millennial. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because money cause doesn't we matter. We have Google and all these other things. That, well, you yeah. got Google. You have uh, student loan debt yeah. at significant levels. You are an interesting sandwich generation because you're now starting to have your children and your parents are getting older and they're living longer. And so there are cost implications of that too. So there's a lot going on. You, you asked the question, what does that mean for the young professional in HR? I'm going to answer in two parts. In HR, it means you have to be really good about understanding what matters to that population, what motivates the millennial thinker, okay? Being careful not to assume that just because someone was born in the 60s that they're not a millennial thinker, okay? The second thing is what do you have to do in sort of the workplace to uh, – to to make to get the most out of them to ex- and I hate to use the word exploit but that's largely what we're doing I'm paying for your services and I need to get a good return on it mm-hmm. what you got to do is figure out it's a little bit of the answer just but it's what matters to them and how much of that are you willing to give them that's that's all it is that's yeah. that's probably the truism of all relationships right what am I willing to do and what are you willing to pay me for doing that and once we figure that out we solve for a lot of the problems. The HR professional, especially the young HR professional, has to come out of la-la land. You know, the easy la-la land is give them what they want, make sure they have purpose in life, pay them what they want, give them work-life balance news alert. That's your problem to figure out work-life balance. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've, I've found that a lot in younger professionals in the HR profession. And listen, we were all there when we were, you know, we live, see life through rose colored glasses. And of course she should be able to bring her pet to work because that's her comfort. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, There's a whole bunch of that stuff that you're struggling with as an HR professional because you're bringing your perspective, having just walked out of college or some new job and it just informs a lot. So it's, I know yeah. I'm talking a little bit, but I'm really it's it's a real challenge for young HR professionals to come to grips with the fact that you've got to be the HR professional for a 60 year old and for a 22 year old. Yeah. HR is almost the most uh, diplomatic of, of professions because, like you said, you've got to be as fair and right for the 60 year old as the 30 year old for the veteran for the person who went through school, you've got all of these uh, competing factors and your job as HR is to help create an environment that serves the greater good for all parties. Or, 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 or the number one job I think is to figure out from your management team, what do you want the culture to be? Yeah. And then recruit against that. So that the people who come in understand the world in which they're coming to work. Sure. So it's, it's one way or the other, you know, for sure. have it your way. No this is the way of the organization and then I would recruit against that. Johnny Taylor, CEO and president of SHRM. That is a great segue into our next question about HR moving beyond the paper pusher. Mm. If you could build the prototypical HR professional, what would that look like today? The professional. I would take a little bit of a business operator, someone with some P&L experience, coupled with someone who um, has really managed 
people. So you can be a PL person, but not really manage people. So a people management expert, someone who has high degrees of empathy and, and a sixth sense that's unparalleled. And I would mix that with someone who understands the legal landscape. You can't ignore that. And top that off with, I'm giving you a little dessert, icing <laughs> on the cake, a person who has a strong view of culture. And that would be the HR professional. So you, you, there's no question in our profession increasingly, and the Me Too and other things that we're hearing tell us every day, the legal landscape will never go away. We're going to, in fact, I think it's going to get tougher in some ways. There's a question about do we um, pay for paid leave now? You know, it's unpaid under the Family and Medical Leave Act. But so there's going to be a lot on the legislative front. And I think you've got to have an understanding of what the law, the legal framework of, of work is. Uh, related to that, you've got to understand there are cost consequences to that. So that's where the PNL sat, someone who understands that giving unpaid and unlimited leave while interesting is typically not affordable for most businesses, right? So you got to do it in that context. And then someone who's managed people, and I'm talking about tough people, not easily managed people, but really tough people. And then layering on top of that, again, this idea of take all of that and create a culture that people will want to continue to work in. Yeah. Well, so you are the president and CEO of Sherm. You have a number of people working with you on developing the profession developing individuals, developing the, uh, the way that the world perceives HR. Could you talk a little bit about the organization and how your team members uh, embody the, the principles that you'd like to see reflected? Right. You know, we were talking as a senior management team just recently about this notion of what do people think about HR. The problem is we talk to each other too often in the profession. We sit up and we go to rah-rah sessions in our annual conference. HR is great, HR is wonderful, and we're an, you know, an important, in fact, critical part of every organization. The question is, do other people believe that? And so one of the first observations is, as a profession, we've got to be seen as the place where smart people want to go and want to be associated with. And smart, again, does not necessarily mean having an undergraduate degree from some Ivy League school and a vast master's degree, et cetera. It means smart problem solvers, people who are curious. Our management team has concluded that that is the most important thing. If we're going to change HR, we've got to change the impression of HR. And one doesn't have to look very far if you go into the television series, you look at movies, HR is always depicted as dumb or not so smart or at best ancillary to an organization, right. sort of a necessary evil. And we can only overcome that by branding ourselves differently. And how do you do it? You bring in really smart people. Because once you interact with other smart people, then you say, oh, gosh, that person in HR is really smart. And their answer to everything isn't, why are you here? Because I love people. <laughs> you know. And unfortunately, <laughs> we end up, that's the answer a lot. Yeah. It is nice. You should love people. And you should care about people. That's the H in HR, human. But it goes a lot deeper than that. So smart and curious is something that we absolutely believe is a critical part of how we're going to change. Finding people who are smart and curious is a critical part of changing this perception of HR. And frankly, then that's the gift that keeps giving because then you'll build a critical mass of smart people and other people outside will say, oh, I want to work with those people. That's how we're going to build the capacity of the HR profession. Wonderful. Well, Johnny, it's been an awesome pleasure having you on your, on the show and 
being in your house. Yes, yes. How about it? Uh, I want to give you just uh, a few moments here to give any parting words that you want to say. I always want to give my guest the last word. So uh, take it away. Yeah, I come from higher education. I spent the last seven and a half years, as you no doubt know, using the term higher education from the college and university space. And and HBCUs in particular, shout out to historically black colleges and universities. And one thing that I, I, I would like us to do is for more and more young professionals to consider a career in, in, in HR. And, um, you know, frankly, we are a graying profession. We are largely a female-dominated profession. And while that's a wonderful thing, I think there are opportunities for us to be more diverse to bring in people of different perspectives, ages, genders, religions, et cetera, because the workplace is increasingly more diverse. And so it will be critical. And I, I, you know, anyone out there in the listening audience, don't dismiss us because you're an engineer and you say, well, I didn't go to HR school. Don't dismiss us because you're a lawyer. You should think about us as a place, a landing place to build a career because the reality is in a knowledge-based economy, the people who figure out people and develop strong culture, those organizations are going to win. So if you want to be in a winning organization and you want to play a critical role in that winning organization, you should consider HR as a profession. If you've recently started a business, why take away time from what you're good at? Only to focus on difficult, pesky HR problems. Jumpstart HR LLC offers a better solution. Jumpstart HR provides HR outsourcing support to U.S.-based small businesses and startups and was recently ranked among the top 10 HR outsourcing firms in the country, according to businessnewsdaily.com. From recruitment to employee handbooks to legal compliance, Jumpstart HR helps you get peace of mind about the people in your business. Visit jumpstart-hr.com for more information or follow on Twitter at jumpstarthr. Jumpstart HR, let's build a better business together. Thanks for listening to the Business Life and Coffee Show with Joey Price. We hope you're inspired to become the best version of yourself after listening to our guest. What thought or idea stood out the most to you? Keep the conversation going by tweeting the show at BizLifeCoffee or our host at Joey V. Price HR with the hashtag BLC Moments. And if you like what you just heard, pass along our podcast to at least five people. Detailed show notes can be found at www.businesslifeandcoffee.com. And our full archive is available on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. This has been a Jumpstart HR production. Join us next time for another edition of the Business Life and Coffee Show.